2.99. Why are you judging my daughter's diving? I wasn't talking about her. I was finalizing this month's special at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. 2.99% interest for 10 years. Wow, 2.99. That? Visit PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. Now, filling in for Jeff Wagner, here's your host, Ryan Recker. I have a personal story and an interview to play for you in about 30 minutes from now, 1235-ish. Vin Scully, an interview that was... Never actually broadcasted, so I'm really excited to bring that to you for the first time here on WTMJ Recorded in Fort Wayne, Indiana. But real quick, Mike, I wanted to ask you a question about that story. So the Blackhawks and the Wild are going to play a game here in Milwaukee. From what I understand, between the Cubs, between the Bears, there's not a lot of love for Chicago sports teams. No, a lot of mixed emotions today, the fact that I think it's the Blackhawks coming here so why do people root for the blackhawks or do they clump them in with the other sports teams and say "Nah, i don't think so i would say the the feeling of uh disdain Mm -hmm. uh is not as strong against the hawks i think a because they were not super relevant for a long time and b milwaukee doesn't really have its own professional hockey team you know we, we do with the admirals but not an nhl team to compete with them i would say a lot of nashville predator fans because of the connections to the uh the Admirals, right? There's a couple Hawks bars. If you're looking for a good Hawks bar, I can I can give you one. But no, I, you don't see a lot of sweaters rocking the Hawks. Ah, uh, you call them sweaters, not jerseys. Okay, <laughs> more sophisticated. Uh, are there more wild fans, or why does the NHL think that there's a lot of people that would want to watch the Blackhawks? Yeah, I, do you, oh, you can answer this one maybe better than me. Do you think that the NHL went to the Blackhawks in the Wild, and I don't know where the game would have been played if it wasn't here in Milwaukee? And just said, uh, would one of you be willing to to give up the game? Or do you think they went to the Hawks and said, you know, we won a game. And the Hawks said, all right, uh, we'll do Minnesota. I don't know how that works. How long of a drive is it between here and Minneapolis? How many hours would you say? Five and a half. And it's an hour to Chicago? Yeah. Okay. So it's really like a Chicago game. It's not really in the media intermediate point. It's not like they're meeting in Madison or something. No, I think that would make more of an intermediate sense. No, I'm I'm guessing they're banking on... On a lot of Hawks fans showing up. If you can't make it to a game at the United Center, or maybe you're from Northern Illinois and you don't want to go downtown. Okay. This, see, this doesn't make sense. This is, <laughs> to me, it just seems like ah, we're just going to do this thing, but it's not for the fans. It d- doesn't make sense to me. Sue so asked me an interesting question uh, before we hopped on the air, and that was, did Milwaukee ever seriously get into the NHL expansion talks? With Seattle and Vegas, those teams have a lot of fanfare around them. It made me wonder if Milwaukee was ever considered or wanted to be considered. I want to and were considered, I think, are two different things. There wasn't a lot of substantial buzz, uh, but you also had the Bucks moving into Pfizer Forum, which was built primarily as a basketball Arena, the Bradley Center, uh, was not Greg Matzik might have a little bit more insight in the afternoon show than I would uh, on this one. But, no, there wasn't a ton of buzz. But could this be step one of building buzz? Looking, playing the real long, you don't think so? The real long game? I think it's going to take so long for the NHL to expand again. It'll be forever long from between here and then. Well, listen, first it's a preseason game with the Wild, then it's maybe a regular season game with, I don't know, Edmonton, you know, over time, a couple seasons from now. (laughs) Okay, give it a try. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. little context to it. One of the big 
stories, of course, is former Vice President Mike Pence in the region giving a speech and campaigning. I've met Mike Pence a couple of different times. He's a very pleasant, nice guy. I liked him a lot. And the other big news is that it looks like the RNC presidential convention for 2024 will land here in Milwaukee. Of course, there needs to be the formal vote, the formal announcement, things like that. But the big news yesterday is that Nashville turned it down. And I talked to one of my friends in Nashville, a broadcast friend of mine, and I asked him about this. I said, why would they turn this down? This seems like a great opportunity. And he said, essentially, that you find they don't like Republicans in Nashville. And in order to get the convention, the Democrats who run the place were pushing for all kinds of other points of contention so oh you really want this over here then we want this this and this legislatively you have to go on board with our agenda and they said we're not doing that and eventually it was turned down which really paves the way makes it the clear contender for milwaukee to pick up that convention in 2024 the summer of 2024 when i started to look at some of the previous conventions that have happened in particular 2016 with donald trump as the nominee for the republicans ultimately ended up winning and became president of the united states I thought to myself, Milwaukee is one of those places that could really enjoy the national stage, the attention, the the cameras, the lights, the glitz. It could be a success story for the RNC. Look at this wonderful event in this wonderful city. Everything went so well, went so smooth. Everyone was watching it, and there was no controversy. There was nothing uh, out of the ordinary, and it brought a lot of money into the city. It's a win-win for both. And then I thought, what would happen if Donald Trump was the nominee in 2024 and Donald Trump was here in Milwaukee for that convention? Well, I think you flip turn that upside down. I think what happens is that the attention is now on the former president trying to become the president again. And I think everyone in the controversy that surrounds it, the circus of the media and the way that they treat him would take the attention away from the city. You have more or less money you're going to be spending on security that you wouldn't have to before. Not that there would be no security. What I'm saying is if you have a Donald Trump in town and he's the main headliner, then you're basically doubling your security budget at that point. I mean, that's pretty much said. And considering all the other threats and things that could go around it, you don't want bad things to happen to your city because you know how divisive the person could be. Going into this next presidential election, I do not think Donald Trump should run. I don't think he would be the right person for the Republicans. I think it would be a step in the wrong direction. I think Joe Biden might try to run again. To me, that's a crazy thought, too. There's a lot of Democrats that don't want him to run again for re-election. But still, without that said, I think for the sake of Milwaukee, it would be a good thing if Donald Trump was not running for president and was not the candidate for president because the attention would be on you and not him. You would have less likely chances of conflict and problems coming into the city. You would have a less likely chance of very negative press about your city. I mean, seriously, think about what could happen during a time like that. And do you want that to be the national story of Milwaukee? Violence breaking out in the streets, protest about this or that. Look how hateful Milwaukee is bringing in the RNC. You know how they'll try to spin those things. I, for one, hope that Donald Trump doesn't run. And I hope he's not the candidate. And I think for Milwaukee's sake, I'm thinking you should hope that, too. But I want to open up the phones for you. Do you think it's a good trade-off? You might get more people in. You might get more attention. But it might be the wrong attention you want for the city of Milwaukee. Let's say the RNC convention is here in 2024, and let's say they make the announcement. All is said and done. Would you want Donald Trump to be the nominee 
for President of the United States, knowing that the convention would be here, knowing everything else that it brings in. 855-616-1620. I don't have any reason to try to protect this city, other than the observations I've had of Milwaukee while I'm here, and it's a very pleasant, beautiful, lovely city with great people. I just think of the hassle you have to go through in the circus and everything else that goes with it. Why would you want to put yourself through that? Why as a city, knowing the large sums of money you could be bringing in with a national convention like this, why would you want to even open up the door for the chance of problems to happen? You want this to go as smooth as possible. So if I were someone that was living here, I'd be thinking, please do not run for president just on that basis point. But you may think differently. Maybe you want him to run. Maybe you want him to be here in Milwaukee. Maybe you want his grand reintroduction to the Republican Party to be right here in your backyard. 855-616-1620. Let's take some of your calls. This is, I think, pretty simple. Do you want the circus? Do you want the circus here, knowing that Donald Trump could be the nominee for President of the United States in 2024? 616-1620. We'll take some of your calls coming up. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in on WTMJ. I'm looking at some of the text messages now, but I'd really love to hear... Your voice on this one, 616-1620, here on WTMJ. Do you want the circus? I think the Republican National Convention, given that it could be a Donald Trump convention, would bring the circus. The media, attention, protests, things like that. If it was Ron DeSantis, you're not going to see as much as that. You may get some of it, but you're not going to see as much. It doesn't turn into that rodeo. And I think that would be safer for Milwaukee, and I think that should be something you're rooting for if you get the convention. Uh, 616-1620. Let me read a couple of these text messages here. Says, you're spot on with Trump. Maybe Nashville is smart turning down the convention. No, Nashville's not smart. The the way that they decided to turn it down through political turmoil and those voting on there turned down a lot of money. They said, oh, it's just not worth the hassle. But you know what? It's really about the politics. They just hate Republicans there. They wanted them to give up some legislative leverage in order to get their vote, in order to say, hey, let's bring it to Nashville, which politics got in the way, and there's a lot of money left on the table because of that. Another text message, uh, we do get the RNC, and then when Donald Trump comes to Milwaukee for his big rally on August 20th, he announces his candidacy here and voices his specific anticipation of being appointed here, uh, oh, excuse me, anointed here in 2024. Another person said, heck no. Uh, and I do, and I did vote for him both times. Milwaukee convention could be awesome, someone said, but maybe not. Proud Boys and Tifa will clash in the streets. I guess that's one visual you want to try to hold back if you can. I don't want Donald Trump in the White House again, nor do I want him to be the Republican nominee. Too divisive. I, I guess as someone that voted for Donald Trump, there's a lot of drama that comes with him. Policy-wise, I would take his economy in a heartbeat. Policy-wise, I would take pretty much every one of his policies in a heartbeat compared to where we are today. And there's a lot of dramatics that go around it, drama that goes around it. Theatrics better word than dramatics, but still, I guess if it was just the policy side of it, I'm on board. But man, it's a package deal sometimes. And it's hard to look at what we're going through today with a Joe Biden administration and say to yourself, well, if you want boring, this is what you get, then if you had to pick between the two, I'll take the drama and have a little more security in my future in that sense. 
Here is another thing. As long as Republicans, I think we can do better. Okay. Just saw that Trump postponed his August 20th visit. No, I haven't seen that. We're going to have to go to the newsroom and ask that. A texter just brought that in. I have not seen it. Uh, we don't want the circus. Do away Trump. You lost. It's over. So conflicting messages there. If you want to call in on the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line, 855-616-1620. I think there's a lot of people that look at this as... For the longevity of the party, you can only take so many hits. Donald Trump is a punching bag, and he takes a lot of punches. Not every candidate is set up for that. Ron DeSantis would be someone that's set up for that. He he can take the punches. Uh, Mike Pence can't take the punches. Um, That's something I worried about. When he was vice president of the United States, he set himself up in a way where he didn't directly contradict the president because, again, they're in the same White House. And you don't want to do that. You don't want that to be one of those deals where you look at as a you know a crack in between the two of you. And, and that's smart. You don't want it between your party. And I've met Mike Pence a couple of different times, and he's an awesome guy. When I was working in Fort Wayne, Indiana, he would make regular visits to our radio station, and he's the kind of guy that would go around the building, introduce himself to everyone as governor of Indiana, even the cleaning crew. And ask the cleaning crew, uh, how's your life? What's going on? What can I do to make it better? He wanted to know those things. And he was just a genuine guy. And I thought to myself, why would someone that is a family man and so nice want to put themselves through the gauntlet where everyone wants to take a punch at you? Why would you want to do that? That just seems miserable to me. But he served this country well. And I like Mike Pence an awful lot. And he's, of course, here in the Milwaukee area right now. Giving the, the just, I guess the speech would probably be done by now. But I, I, I look at that and I say to myself, that's the different type of personality. You need someone that's a punching bag. He's the punching bag, uh, Donald Trump is. So do you just say, okay, let him take the punches as long as I get the policies? Can I ignore it as long as I can? Just kind of like, you know, keep my mouth shut and not say anything and just take a better economy? Is that the best way to do it? I guess there's different ways to look at it. And either way, just be happy with it. In 2016, Cleveland, a year after the Republican convention in 2017, analyzed how much money came in, and it was a lot less than they thought it would be. They were hoping for more people, more revenue, basically all the businesses, restaurants, hotels, the tourists, the ones that were coming into town. They anticipated they would spend more money than they did, and I think some of that may have been offset with some of the problems you had with a Donald Trump because you're going to go through your budget in other ways. And that's what I fear for Milwaukee. You're going to have such a nice thing, and then it's going to be ruined by a burning building in the background, like you've seen in the past in some of your communities. You know, in St. Louis, it was Ferguson, and every time you bring that up, you think about the problems that happened there. And I know you've had your own issues here, of course, in recent years. But let's just put it this way. Less drama is probably better, and let's just hope you guys make a lot of money off of it. I'm Ryan Recker filling in on WTMJ. Someone uh, texted in, President Trump's Milwaukee visit postponed, but no, his trip still here on Friday is scheduled in Waukesha, so no, that's still happening. And I wouldn't put it past him to, you know, make an announcement or say, let's say the RNC does make an announcement that is coming to Milwaukee and he happens to be here on the day the announcement is released. I mean, who's to say he doesn't make an announcement then? Who knows? Maybe that's why they're postponing or rescheduling the one that was scheduled on August 20th. Thank you for that text message, though. So, and all the messages, too, that came in, and just for the sake of time, I wanted to set up my interview after the news here at 1235. When I 
was working in Fort Wayne, Indiana, I had the pleasure of working with a broadcaster by the name of Bob Chase. He was a sports broadcaster. And in 1953, he started broadcasting Comet hockey games. It was a minor league but a professional team. And it was one that he loved hockey. Uh, He played hockey. In fact, when you're talking about men of that era, 1953 or so, they have some stories. Oh, boy, do they have some stories. He played against the Detroit Red Wings once. So he was going up in, I think, Marquette, Michigan, way north Michigan. And what would happen is that since the Red Wings would need a place to, you know, do preseason games, workouts, things like that. They had to go to an area that was very cold, and a lot of times northern Michigan was a great opportunity. So what they would do is get the local boys to play against the pros because they needed people to train against. And he remembers playing against the Red Wings back then, Gordie Howe and all them. He was um, he was an old-school broadcaster, and he was one of the best broadcasters I ever met. He told a great story, and everyone loved him. He was a treasure to the city, key-to-the-city type of guy. When 2016 came around, he was going to broadcast again. He was in his early 90s at this point, and he started to get sick. Congestive heart failure. He was in the hospital, and he fought it off once, and he was one of those guys. He was 90, but he could beat you up if he wanted to. You know, you know one of those guys, World War II vet. And what he did was... So I'm going to get out of this. So I'm going to start broadcasting again. And at that time, I started to put together a radio documentary on his life and his professional career as a broadcaster. And one of the people I spoke to about him was Vin Scully, the great Dodgers broadcaster. Bob often told me that he was hoping Vin Scully would retire so he could pass up his broadcasting record. Vin Scully, for all those years with the same team, organization, I should say, held the record for that longest continual broadcaster with an organization and he thought if only Vin Scully would retire I can take that I can take that record in just a couple of years. When Bob got sick unfortunately that never happened. Now Vin Scully did eventually retire and I spoke to Vin Scully about the longevity of broadcasters like him and Bob Chase. And since it was for a radio documentary it never aired. We would take 30-second clips from it, and we would play it around other bits of audio to try to set the story, but the documentary wasn't about Vin Scully. When Vin Scully passed away, the announcement coming last night at the age of 94, it reminded me of that interview with him, and I thought this would be the great opportunity to play that interview for the very first time, even though it's not on the radio station I recorded with. This is back from 2016. We're going to play that Vin Scully interview right after the break. I'm Ryan Recker. Don't you go anywhere because I think you're really going to like it. Well, thanks for listening to that story about Bob Chase, this broadcaster that meant an awful lot to me. One of the great all-time broadcasters for hockey. Believe it or not, he was the mentor to Doc Emmerich. Doc Emmerich being an Indiana boy. Listen to Comet Hockey and Bob Chase. Bob would mentor Doc, and of course Doc is now known as one of the great hockey broadcasters of all time. He's now since retired, but still looked at as one of the all-time greats. So I, I just want to set this up again. I'll do this briefly. I was creating a documentary on Bob Chase and his longevity in broadcasting. I interviewed Vin Scully. This interview never aired. We only used clips of it as part of the documentary I produced. And I thought this would be a great time to do it, too. Now, even though... I was asking about Bob. Keep in mind, the answers were also in part about Vin Scully, because the two of them were kind of in a club no one else was in. 
We're talking broadcasters who are in, with the same organization 50, 60 years. That doesn't happen anymore. It never will happen again. So the stories are the same, and I thought you might enjoy it here today, considering Vin Scully's passing at the age of 94. Okay, hold on. Hey, Vin. Yeah. Ryan Recker is on the phone with you. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Vin. How are you? Oh, I'm fine, thank you. How about yourself? Good. I uh, I appreciate Good. spending some time here. Thank you so much. Happy uh, to do it. I'm calling about uh, one of our broadcasters, Bob Chase. He started calling Comet Hockey, which is our minor league hockey team here in Fort Wayne, in October of 1953. All the way up until last season, and this season he was set to uh, to start his another year of Comet Hockey. He's uh, turning 91 years old. Uh, he's having oh, some wow. he's having some health issues right now, and uh, we don't know if he's going to be able to go back to the broadcast booth. And something he always talked about was chasing your record because him being on the air since 1953, and you since 1950. He always joked about. He said one of these days Vince Scully's going to retire, and I'm going to be able to be the longest uh, serving broadcaster. So, oh my God, <laughs> what's something that? Only you guys would know when it comes to the broadcast business. What's something only you and Bob would understand about the longevity of what it takes to do something like this? Well, I think the number one would be preparation. And obviously, to survive a continuous career of 60-some-odd years, that means that, uh, among other things, you're accurate in your call. People believe in you, have faith in you that when you say it's great or it's not good or whatever, uh, they accept that without a second thought. They also know that you're not just rooting for the Comets, but you're actually describing a solid game, giving plays where it's worthy, whether it's Comets or the opposition. I think all of that is so important, and it begins with preparation. Uh, You can't have a continuous job and slack off. And the tendency might be with some, well, I've done it for 10 years now. I've got this thing made. And that's the worst thought you can possibly have. So for Bob to go 64 years, it shows you the stamina is there, the intelligence is there, the heart is there, and the soul is there for the game. So it all adds up to a lot. And only someone who has been along for the ride that long will understand and appreciate the great job that he has done. Looking at retirement and what you're doing, and, and we're looking at Bob, who potentially would be would be hanging it up. How do you prevent feeling like you're retiring from who you are? Because you've been doing it for so long, it's so much part of your identity. How do you prevent feeling like you're retiring from your own existence? Well, I, I think it might be a battle. I don't have that feeling right now uh, here in Los Angeles. I'm still recognized so that... Uh, I'm still me. They tell a story many, many years ago. Ralph Kiner was a big home run hitter uh, with the Pittsburgh Pirates, and eventually he retired to become a broadcaster with the New York Mets. And he was walking through the stands, and a fan hollered over to him, You sent you used to be Ralph Kiner. Meaning, of course, that uh, he's not the same person who hit the home runs. But I feel that, as of right now, uh, my life was not totally dependent on recognition or praise or anything else. I've had my fill of that. I don't believe, because I'm talking about a future 
about which I'm not totally aware. However, I don't think I will feel any real loss of identity whatsoever. And I do know that I've spent a lot of yesterdays doing my job. I'm not sure how many tomorrows I have, so I'm more interested in tomorrow than I am yesterday, and I think that would help anyone who's been doing the same job for a long time. Yeah. Bob had opportunities. He had um, job offers to go uh, be the play-by-play for the Detroit Red Wings, the St. Louis Blues, and also the, the Washington Capitals when they created that. But he decided he wanted to stay with Fort Wayne. Uh, it's where his family grew up. He didn't want to move his family. So he, he's been with the same club since 1953. Did you ever have opportunities like that, and are you glad you stayed? Yes, I had one possible opportunities. Uh, I've been asked about it quite often, and it did not come from the Yankees itself. It came from a man in advertising who happened to be a good friend of mine who was also involved in the advertising when the Dodgers were in Brooklyn. And he asked me if I had any desire to come back to New York and uh, perhaps work for the Yankees. And I said, well, give me 48 hours. I said that out of just complete respect. But I had no no thought of coming back. That was the only time I ever had... You could call it a feeler, but it wasn't even from the Yankees anyway. It was from somebody in the advertising business. But I was very content. I felt I was part of the O'Malley family. They had treated me like a son, and there was no way I was going to leave. Did, out of curiosity, you ever hear about stories of people trying to chase your longevity record? They, they wanted to try to, to, to beat the, the record that you were compiling? No, to be honest, no, I never heard of that. Uh, I would welcome it. As, uh, I don't know who it was who first said it. Uh, records are made to be broken, and uh, I still think the DiMaggio 56 games where he had at least one hit, that's a record that might never be broken. But then again, wait to see. And maybe somebody who is fortunate enough to start at a very young age keeps his health and his desire Maybe somebody will go 68, and more power to him. I know that you don't know Bob personally, but do you have any message that uh, we can convey to him during this special, something that can congratulate him on his longevity? Well, Bob, first of all, my heartiest congratulations to you for your tremendous success in Fort Wayne. 64 years, that's a long time doing anything. In fact, it's a long time just to live. And to me, when you have a record like that, it shows all of the abilities that are important to a play-by-play man. And that means that you're interesting, you're entertaining, you're well-prepared, you've given everything in your heart and soul to stay at the top level that you have been. And, of course, that's reflected in all of the different offers you had from Detroit, St. Louis, and God knows uh, other teams that might very well would have wanted you, knowing, however, that you want to stay in Fort Wayne. So from one hard-working guy to another, God's been very good to both of us. 64, 67, what's the difference? The big point is that uh, we've both been blessed, and I wish you blessings to you and your family. And if you come back, great. If you decide that's enough, I'll understand that as well. Oh, I teared up listening back to that. Uh-huh. 
Wow. First time ever hearing that. Back to, by the way, from 2016 that was recorded, October of 2016. I got one uh, other thing I need to share about this coming up after the break. We're running late. I'm Ryan Recker filling in on WTMJ. Oh, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Vin Scully. That was from 2016. At the time, I didn't really soak it in. I knew it was a cool thing to be able to have a couple of minutes with a broadcast legend, but I don't think I truly appreciated really what was happening at that moment. And he was really quick to hop on the phone, too. I put the request in, and they said, sure. You didn't have to hop through any hoops to get him, which was wonderful. I think because just the the premise of this broadcaster and Bob Chase. I, I wanted to point this out, too. And someone texted in, too personal. You know, that's one of those things where I feel, given the circumstances of Vin Scully, as the L.A. Times said, forever the voice of the Dodgers, passing away at the age of 94. This was really my opportunity to at least tell those two stories and really Vin's story. I I wanted to do a quick follow-up on that. So I interviewed Vin Scully, what you heard, and I started to put this documentary together. The documentary was already in progress. At this point, I was trying to add as many big names as I could into it, uh, Doc Emmerich and from ESPN, and I, I, endless amount of names. Scotty Bowman, by the way, would listen to Bob Chase in Canada. When Scotty Bowman took the job for the St. Louis Blues, he tried to get Bob Chase to be their broadcaster, and ultimately it didn't work out. So I, I had Scotty Bowman on, and there's all of these different broadcasters that were touched by Bob Chase at some point in their career, and these big names in hockey. And Vin Scully on there was such a cool thing. I was putting the documentary together, and Bob passed away before I could play it for him. And it is probably my biggest professional regret and one of my life regrets that I was unable to get that finished so he can hear all the nice things people said about him. Still chokes me up thinking about it. But either way, I think there's so many lifelong fans of baseball that can appreciate the things that we are able to see while they're still here you think of Bob Euchre and all the great calls, and think of all the memories he's given you over the years. That's not going to be here forever. You have to cherish those moments. I think people understand that. And I think we're able to cherish Vin Scully for a long time. All right, uh, I had to make this a quick break because we're running late uh, with the interview, but I thought it was worthwhile. When we come back, there were cream puffs in the studio. I got to try my very first Wisconsin cream puff. And I will give you my full report coming up after the break. I'm Ryan Recker filling in on WTMJ. Thanks for the text messages. I see Mitch, uh, truly amazing segment. Thank you for that. Uh, thank you for the message. One person texted in, Laura. Uh, thanks for sharing that interview. My dad was a longtime Dodger fan and loved to listen to Vin call games. Like Vin, my dad worked for one company for 47 years. Mm. I have tears in my eyes as I listened as my dad has passed, and it reminded me how he loved baseball. Wow. Think about that, the message of being able to stay with one company for your entire life. Wow. For someone my age, I'm 39, that's a foreign idea. I don't think you'll see that much. When I'm older, I'm going to be surrounded by other people my age, and we're all going to count the number of jobs we had. And it's going to be more than one hand, I'm guessing. You just don't see the longevity in one organization like you used to. Or the loyalty. Uh, just you don't see that as much anymore. So thank you for all those text messages. In the next hour, too, 
You know, I have a lawyer friend that's going to be joining me after the news. He helps me navigate through legal issues. The Justice Department yesterday announced that they're going to be filing suit against uh, an abortion ban in one of the states. We're going to discuss that in the next hour, too, mostly because I just don't know if there's going to be a lot of legal standing. We knew that there would be other challenges after the Supreme Court verdict. So really, is this a serious challenge? And legally speaking, does it have grounds? Um, I finally had a chance to try the cream puff. There's few notes I wrote down about it because I was going to be very professional in my review. But it's very, you can't be professional when you're eating a cream puff. So they had two boxes of the cream puffs in the back, I think thanks to Steve. And when I got there, uh, they were both closed. So I had to wait after my first cup of coffee, get back there. They're opened up. I didn't want to be the one to open it because this is what would have happened. I would have opened it, and I was afraid it was going to be a cream puff bomb. You know, just get it all over the place. I didn't want to be the one to have to clean up the mess of that thing opening. So I grab a cream puff. I wanted to make sure there was a lot of cream in the one I got. And are there croissants, kind of, and with the cream in the middle? Two things that came to mind. Even though the word cream is in the in cream puff, it was much creamier than I thought it would be. And I don't mean that in a quantity standpoint. I mean that it's fluffier. It's more creamy. For some reason, I just thought the consistency of the cream would be different. So the method I decided on was I opened them up, and I had them as two separate cream puffs, so open-faced. And I would rip a piece off, and I would eat that piece. There was a little bit of joy I had eating the cream puff. What would happen is the cream would be there, and it was pretty good. But when your tongue hit the part of the croissant where the cream soaked in, that was the best part to me. It's so hard to explain, but you can just enjoy the cream, but that little bit of croissant that had the cream soaked in, and you're just eating, and you as soon as your tongue touches that part, it makes it a little spongy right there at that spot, and it is so, so good. Oh, man! So I can't wait to get back to the fair and give that a try. In fact... I may pull a Kobayashi and just go back to the break room, and if there's any left, I might put down four or five in between the break, and then they'll have to roll me back into the studio. I mean, literally, roll me back into the studio for that one. But you got a good thing here, and I guess I'm going to have to try other flavors to kind of get the full feel of it. And I had other people message me. They said, oh, when you're at the fair, you got to try this. Oh, you got to try that. I can see myself putting down the cream puffs without even thinking about it. You know, you walk by a booth and you think, oh, should I get one? Should I not? Maybe I'll stop. Am I really hungry? Do I mind the mood for it? This is one of those where your mind will just say, do it. Like, you don't think twice. It's like a specialty that's only here once in a while. It's kind of like the McRib. Like, when McDonald's has the McRib, you're like, I guess I'm going to McDonald's now because I haven't had a McRib in a year and a half since they last had it on the menu. Cream puffs like that. It's summer. It's that time of year. You're at the fair. Yeah, you're getting a cream puff. I was really impressed by that. So big thanks to uh, everyone that encouraged me to get that. I, I don't understand the haters. All the people that say, oh, that's no good, I, I don't understand them. Something's wrong. Maybe your taste buds are burnt off. Give it a break. I'm Ryan Recker filling in on WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Now filling in for Jeff Wagner, here's your host, Ryan Recker. Always cool to hear the voice guys say my name. Thanks for all the great messages online there, too. I want to talk about this beef, I guess, with Full House and Candace Cameron Bure. Makes me wonder if you've ever bumped into a celebrity. And I have, of course. 
how many horror stories have you heard of certain celebrities that were just complete jerks in real life? And I just do not accept that the full house girl, Cameron uh, Bure, is a bad person. Will not accept it, but this story just won't go away. I saw the headline from pretty much everywhere. The Justice Department and Attorney General Merrick Garland, uh, the Attorney General there saying that, hey, in Idaho, uh, we don't like your ban on abo- abortion. It's too restrictive. So the Justice Department filed suit yesterday against Idaho to talk about that. A lawyer friend of mine from St. Louis, his name is Brad Young. Hello, Brad. Thanks for coming on. Hey, my pleasure. And uh, sometime when, next time we get together, let me tell you my Leonard Nimoy story. <laughs> oh, yes, please. I think I've heard that story before. Let's look at something about the, the legal aspect of this. And I'm not just saying this. You are really one of the best that breaks down legal stories like this, Supreme Court, or even something on the federal level like the Justice Department. When we saw the Supreme Court Justice, uh, Supreme Court justices vote and essentially say, hey, it's a state issue when it comes to abortion, we knew that there would be more suits to follow when it came to individual states and how they handle abortion as a state. In Idaho, I was looking through the law, and it is fairly restrictive. I mean, there are exceptions, but the Justice Department believes it's too restrictive. And I was hoping you can explain the argument from the Justice Department and if you think it'll go through. Yeah, the, the Idaho law, and I've reviewed this law extensively, under the Idaho law, it bans all abortions except for cases of incest or rape. And in those situations, there has to be a report of that incest or rape to the police department before the abortion can be performed. But the other exception under the Idaho law is that abortions can be done, and I'm quoting here with regard to the physician, in his or her good faith medical judgment and based upon the facts known to the physician at the time that the abortion was necessary to prevent the death of the pregnant woman. Mm -hmm. Now, that's the basis of the Department of Justice lawsuit against this Idaho law, Ryan, because under federal law, uh, abortions can be performed to save the life of the mother or to preserve the life of the mother. And so what they're saying here is is that there could be a lot of circumstances where a woman's health is in jeopardy, but under the strict reading of this statute, uh, the abortion couldn't be performed until like moments before the, the mother dies. So when they're talking about the good faith discretion of the doctor, maybe I read that differently. That made it sound like the exception was there, but the Justice Department reads it as not enough of an exception. Well, right, and and here's the example that's given, and this is an example that I have some familiarity with. My wife had preeclampsia before the birth of our first child, and that's a condition where it can easily result in the death of the mother, but, you know, at any given moment, it's not necessarily life-threatening. It can just become life-threatening. And so there's 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 a constitutional doctrine that says statutes cannot be vague. If they're vague, then they can't be applied, and so that's a long, that's a 200-year-old constitutional doctrine for striking laws based on vagueness. Now, while I certainly agree uh, that states have the right to control this issue, we just saw this in Kansas last night, uh, in this is instance, there, if, if this is deemed to be too vague, in other words, doctors don't know what to do because of the vagueness of the statute, then the courts could strike it down. In the Supreme Court ruling with Dobbs essentially saying that the states have the ability to come up with their own laws, does the federal government even have grounds to step in for something like this? 
Well, they do. In fact, there is a federal law that specifically addresses uh, what doctors are supposed to do in situations where uh, where patients such as pregnant women are needing medical care. And so there's a concept called the preemption doctrine. Preemption doctrine is a fancy way of simply saying if federal law has already covered an area, state law cannot contradict that. So uh, Merrick Garland's position is since federal law already covers what has to happen when people are in life-threatening situations or potentially life-threatening situations, state law cannot override that federal law. So let's say this is successful. Let's say that the Justice Department is successful against Idaho. Would that then become precedent, meaning that the Justice Department would then essentially try to go after any other state that has restrictions on abortion? Well, they certainly could. I mean, there would every state law is written differently, so it would depend literally on a state-by-state basis. But I can tell you uh, that folks in Idaho are already concerned about this because in researching this issue over the last few days, I noticed that the drafter of the initial law, which was drafted in 2020, has already indicated that he's drafting an amendment to the statute to fix that potential vagueness. So just so we understand, when we, we've dive, we've did a deep dive into the legal weeds here, but the, the challenge is not because states can't regulate abortion. They clearly can't. The question is, if they do, they must do it in statutes that are not vague. Okay, let's say there is an amendment to that law, and the lawsuit is ongoing from the Justice Department. Would a judge at that point determine if you can, okay, now that there's this amendment, we're just going to throw this out, or would you actually go through with the entire case? You know, that's a great question, and there's no solid answer, Ryan, because I can give you just as many examples on both sides of that issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, procedurally, there's something called the doctrine of mootness. I love all these terms, by the way. They're great <laughs> at parties. After a couple of cocktails, these terms are hilarious. But, uh, but in this instance, that just means if the law is changed, the courts can't address an issue that's no longer valid. Mm-hmm. So if the Idaho legislature does, in fact, pass an amendment before this works its way through the courts, that just eliminates the litigation right there on the spot. I'm guessing there's a judge out there that has named their cat Moot. Oh, come here, Moot. Has to be. So if you were to just look at this lawsuit from the Justice Department and you were trying to guess if it would be successful or not, what do you think? Well, I think there's a... There's a degree that it could be successful. I would probably give it greater than 50-50 odds of being successful from the perspective of this vagueness issue. Now, what I disagree with is is that's clearly not the intent. In other words, it's not the intent of the Justice Department to make sure that these laws are not vague. The intent of the Justice Department is to litigate, harass any state that tries to uh, legislate the, the legality of abortion. Mm-hmm. That's the intent behind this lawsuit. I disagree with the intent, but I agree that the, the vagueness issue is there. In what court would this be legislated? Legislated? No, uh, argued. I no, say. adjudicated. Adjudicated. It would, <laughs> yes, it would be adjudicated in federal court because the issue is whether or not the state law is constitutional. Um, and uh, in federal law, actually, it could actually even be brought in state court. It would really be up to the Justice Department as to where they filed it. And in researching this issue, I don't recall whether it was filed in state or federal court, but it could really be in either one because of the federal issue. So you met Leonard Nimoy? 
<laughs> yeah, I did. I, I, I was a senior in high school. Uh, I went up to see him at a Star Trek convention. I was sitting in the hallway talking with my pals. He comes out of his room, and he says, hey, you, come here, and he points at me. And I walk down this long hallway, and he says, you guys are too loud. Shut those fire doors. And as he was slamming the door in my face, I wagged my finger at him, and I said, look, pal, you were once in Zombies of the Stratosphere. Don't get high and mighty. <laughs> And he laughed, and then he slammed the door in my face. <laughs> Get a double slam, potentially. Wait, he didn't even do the Vulcan thing with the fingers? Oh, man. No, no, he didn't. I just wagged my finger at him because he was being all high and mighty. I'm like, dude, you were in Zombies of the Stratosphere. Love it. All right, Brad Young is my lawyer friend, and he really is one of the best to break down legal issues like this one. Thank you so much for joining us here in Milwaukee. Oh, my pleasure. And I'm Ryan Recker filling in for Jeff Wagner and WTMJ. So Mitch on the text line said, you're hot today, Ryan. Oh, how about that? Wait, are the webcams on in here? Ooh, I'm just kidding. Thank you for that. Another text message, I agree that Bob Euchre is a treasure. Every game or show he's been on are filled with memorable and amusing stories. You have to start archiving every one of those stories just for the preservation of baseball. Just so many great moments that need to be heard by future generations. I 100% agree with them. And when you search for Vin Scully right now, Bob Euchre shows up because he is easily one of the treasures still broadcasting the game. I wanted to bring this up. Um, and this is from TMJ4. Accused killer of Milwaukee grandmother given low bail. What Wisconsin AG candidates say they will change. This has been a nationwide trend in problems with the justice system where you find that there's so much sympathy for someone that's committed felonies and even to the point of murder that it is inhumane to keep them locked up in between their trial dates because it could take them a long time to get on trial. And what ends up happening is something that's very predictable. They either commit another crime or hurt another individual or maybe even kill another individual, which happened here in Milwaukee. We've seen this in so many other states. I've seen this in my hometown where I come from. Uh, I see, also see it where I work now is in St. Louis, Missouri. And one of the nationwide stories was Captain David Dorn. When the nationwide riots started after the problems in Minneapolis, you found that there were riots in all other major cities. And what ended up happening was that people were looting and putting buildings on fire. And in this case, Captain Dorn, a retired police captain, was helping his friend's pawn shop to make sure it didn't get looted. And what it ended up happening was someone shows up, they're live video streaming their crime spree, and they end up shooting and killing him live for the Internet to watch. It was absolutely horrific and terrible. And I remember what it was like broadcasting that night, watching all of this unfold, and you're thinking to yourself, how in the world would you ever want to go back downtown knowing that this could happen at any given time? Like flash flooding in a way. It just crops up before you know it. And I saw in so many other cities the same story, where the person that's the accused killer or the people involved were either not held or should have been held. They violated their parole or they should have been in jail with a light sentence. They were back out or they weren't charged. Or maybe that though they skipped the warrant that was out for them, there was just no effort or there was no urgency to try to get them off the street. And it led to the death of a very loved captain in the police department, though retired. And here in Milwaukee, you see it too in this one story that everyone's been talking about. Can we play a clip from that? I think we have that. 
I, I surprised the producer on it. I forgot to mention him that we're going to play a clip from TMJ4. This is the story that a lot of the different family members are now tasked with doing after the fact. They go on to television and say, why in the world would you want to kill a grandmother? Why? Why did you have to shoot her? She was harmless. Cynthia's boyfriend, Alan Grant, is now charged with two counts of first-degree murder. Last month, police say he killed a neighbor. Then he killed Cynthia outside of her daughter's house. Grant was out on bail from a previous case of running from the police and being a felon in possession of a firearm. Earlier this year, his $10,000 bond in that case was reduced to $1,000, yep. which he posted in April. <sighs> All right, let's, like let's just, just be there. Yeah, the Justice Department lit that family down and let her down. And I look at the really the, the need to protect other people in instances like this. And how many times have you heard the instances in Waukesha even? He shouldn't even have been out. Why in the world wasn't he held? Why in the world wasn't he in jail? And look what he ended up doing. How many times do we have to tell that story where we take this more seriously? You find, too, that in a lot of cases you get progressive prosecutors that are running the offices. They decide not even to prosecute crimes. These could even be violent crimes. In St. Louis, there's even an exception to some police officers, meaning they exclude arrests by certain police officers. You can have a videotaped confession... And you can have them on the record committing this crime, and they still won't prosecute people committing these violent crimes because of the officer that arrested them. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. I feel for that family, and you're right, the justice system let them down. There's no reason why this person should have been out on the street. When we come back, I, I wanted to look at this one story about Candace Cameron Bure. She was someone that was on Full House and recently... A celebrity musician came out and said, oh, when I was a kid, she did something really mean to me. Well, the mom of that kid came out, and this is just so ridiculous. It makes me roll my eyes. And I'm sure you've had interactions with celebrities. I'd love to hear that, too, coming up after the break. I'm Ryan Recker filling in on WTMJ. Welcome back. There's a musician, celebrity, actress, Jojo Siwa, who recently went on TikTok. I think that's the Chinese app company where people normally dance and do stupid things or whatever, hurt themselves or eat Tide Pods. So she went on there and she said, oh, when I was a kid, I was 11. I went to go see a live taping of Full House and DJ Tanner, you know, one of the more famous actresses now, Candace Cameron Bure, Bure, I should say, because, you know, the hockey player, Bure. So she apparently um, wanted to get a picture. And as she came up as an 11-year-old, said, can I take a picture? Can I take a picture? And she said, not now, maybe later. At 11 years old, apparently that was just the worst thing you could possibly do to a child at the age of 11. Tell no to a picture. And all these years later, she comes back and says, "At the now um, now she's old enough to, to look at this and say, oh, boy, I ugh, it ruined me. I, I, I wake up in cold sweat at night knowing that I was turned away for a photograph from Candace Cameron Bure. Well, no, not really. That's what happened. Of course, uh, they patched things up later. And part of the patch-up was essentially she saying, I don't remember, and even I'm so sorry. I didn't. I, I, I never would have done that to you if I would have known. It would have meant so much to you or whatever it was. So now she's old enough, and she goes back and says, oh, it's all water under the bridge. No big deal. Except, except in this instance, the mom of JoJo Siwa came out and said, 
defending her child, DJ Tanner. She was like, I love you so much. Can we please take a selfie? And when you said no, maybe later. Not now. Maybe later. Ouch. You could have. You couldn't have been bothered, she said. I do know now what was going on, but it's funny, like, when you don't know and someone treats you like that, no, maybe late. So she's being snotty about this on social media at this point. I don't understand why you're still trying to drag this on. This is so stupid to drag it on. But it made me wonder, if you've ever had a celebrity encounter, what were they like and who was it? If it was good or bad. Let me give you bonus points. If it happened here in Milwaukee somewhere and it was a bad celebrity encounter, I definitely want to hear from you. Uh, it could have just been their worst moment, and this is probably a bad thing to bring up someone's worst moment. But either way, if Will Smith slapped you across the face, I want to hear from you. 616-1620. I've had plenty of celebrity encounters. Because, you know, working in radio, media, you get an opportunity to work with other performers, do different things with people that are well-known because they want you to help promote them, and they're always super nice to you. There have been some bad encounters, but still... Uh, have you ever met a celebrity out in the wild, and was it a good or bad encounter? Give us a call on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm, I'm just very curious which celebrities are nice and which ones aren't. It's 616-1620. That would be the way for you to reach the show. Oh, you can also 855-616-1620. That'd be a good call. You can text in, too. I'd like to see that. Some great text messages coming in. And I saw the message from Jeff, do online meet and greets count? Yes, call in with your meet and greet, even if you paid for the opportunity to see the celebrity. Which, by the way, uh, if you wanted to treat us as celebrities, we'll be at the state fairgrounds starting tomorrow broadcasting. With the day game of the Cardinals, it might be a little bit more difficult to bump into the personality. If you're trying to listen for me, I don't think I'm going to be at the fairgrounds tomorrow, but I'll be there on Friday. Not that you would actually want to meet me. Because, you know, I'm not the regular Jeff Wagner. But they're going to have great opportunities to meet some fantastic broadcasters that you know and love here at WTMJ. We'll do our best to take photos with you. And I'll try very hard not to give you the Hollywood shoulder, if you know what I mean. Oh, no, I'm not taking pictures now. Go all Hollywood on you guys. Kind of like uh, Cameron Bure there and from Full House. All right, so have you had a run-in with a celebrity? Bonus points if it happened here in Milwaukee. Let's go to Rick. Welcome to WTMJ. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Who uh, did you run into? Back, back in the, I ran into Kevin Bacon on a flight coming home from Canada on a fishing trip. Mm-hmm. And there were some um, rumors that a celebrity was going to get on board. And when Kevin Bacon got on board, they seated him in coach. And he threw an absolute hissy fit about being in coach. <laughs> Oh, no. Well, how did you know there would be a celebrity on board? How did the rumors get spread at an airport? Well, while we were all waiting to get on a flight, I think somebody might have spotted him and said, there's Kevin Bacon. They were all wondering if he was going to get on our flight. Uh-huh. Sure enough, he did. And <laughs> he, he threw, threw an absolute hissy fit. <laughs> uh, he told his manager he never sits He never sits in coach. Oh, no. He had to turn the airplane around on the runway. And they brought it back to the gate, and they had to get some volunteers in first class to change the coach. No! Oh, that's miserable, Rick. And you're thinking to yourself, I'm never watching another Tremors ever again. 
Exactly. Okay, what year was this? So was he in his prime at this point? It was in the late 90s. Okay, so this is way past Footloose and all those other ones. Wow. I still like Kevin Bacon. I've seen interviews with him. He seems very friendly. Well, that day he was in a bad mood. Got it. All right, thanks, Rick. That was a caught you at a bad day. Here's some text messages, but I want to hear from you on the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. said, hate to say that Hank Aaron snubbed me and my little brother when we were 10 and 6 at a charity golf event. He wouldn't sign an autograph. We were the only kids there. Oh, I hate to hear that. Another text message. I met Muhammad Ali when he was the heavyweight champ, and he was really nice shaking hands and taking pictures with anyone who asked. Not to bash talk, or not a bash talker in ego like he was on TV. Awesome to hear that, too. I've heard a lot of great things about Muhammad Ali. I don't want to break this persona, but this happens an awful lot with celebrities or broadcasters. The way they sound on air could be completely different when they're off air. So when I'm here on the air with you, I'm being me, I'm authentic, but it's not like I go home and I to have these long monologues in front of my wife at the dinner table. You know, I'm kind of like a different version of me. So if you see Muhammad Ali and he's playing it up and he understands that's how you get publicity, that's how you get people excited, that's him playing it up. That's the razzmatazz of it all. That's the show business side of it all. Behind the scenes, there's still people, of course, and it's glad... I'm very glad to hear Muhammad Ali was like that to you. All right, let's go to Jeff. Welcome to WTMJ, Jeff. Hi, Ryan. During COVID-19, COVID-19 lockdown, I did some online meet and greets to help me maintain my sanity and give me something to do. Mm-hmm. And the biggest one I did was probably with director John Carpenter, oh. who did like the Halloween movies and, and all that stuff. And the, the, there were two things about it that I, that I think we're kind of amusing. First, um, I just happened to be wearing a Bucks hat mm-hmm. during it, and it, just by coincidence, he's a huge Bucks fan. Awesome. And so it was kind of cool, cool to watch him just sort of geek out with you know and act like a regular person and just talk about the Bucks for the first half of the conversation. Awesome. That's so the cool. Second thing, yeah, yeah, and then the second thing that was cool. Well, it's kind of at first I was ticked off, but I got an autographed poster from him and he and he spelled my first name wrong it was just spelled j-e-f-f-e-r-y instead of the r-e-y uh-huh. and um but n- now it's actually funny though and it's on my wall and it's just a just a, just a kind of an interesting joke makes it a good story honestly I, you know there's an autograph thank there's you. a picture but if you got a story that goes with it that makes it even better so thank you jeff good to hear from you oh i'm glad you called in I had a friend, too. We would go to our local trade shows for the the sports card shows, things like that, when I was a kid, and they would bring in a lot of athletes. And one time, Grant Fuhr, the all-time Hall of Fame goaltender, played with Edmonton, played with the St. Louis Blues. He played, I think, with Calgary towards the end there, maybe L.A. for a heartbeat, but... He was signing autographs. This is back in the prime when he was playing with the Blues. He'd play like 80 games a season. He was just a brick wall, man. He was a tank, just built like a tank. We got to the front in my buddy, and we had to have been teenagers, 13 at the time. He had a dark blue Blues jersey, and he had Grant Fuhr sign it. 
and it was with a black marker. And by the time he got it back, he said, oh, you can't even see it because the dark blue and the black. Can, can he sign maybe the number or something like that? So the person that was trying to keep the line moving said, sorry, kid, you're going to have to get another ticket. Grant Fuhr heard that, and he said, the heck he will. He grabbed the jersey back. He said, get over here, kid. And he took the marker. He signed it like four different places. He's like, here, I'm just going to keep signing it until it looks right. So now my buddy's got this jersey signed by Grant Fuhr multiple times in the great story to go along with it, which I just think is great. Let's go to Doc. Welcome to WTMJ. Hello, Doc. Hi, this is Eric. Oh, Eric, sorry. Go ahead. Um, no, that's okay. Uh, yeah, I had a great experience meeting former President Jimmy Carter and his wife, Rosalind. Mm, tell me so about it. They were in town uh, building houses for Habitat for Humanity. And I wanted to meet them, and we kind of side-skirted the Secret Service and went around to the back, and he just happened to be going out back there to get some tools. Mm-hmm. And, and I waved and said, hi, I have something here for you. And he, and he came over, and I had a brewer hat. Mm-hmm. And then he called Rosin over. He says, hey, Rosin, come on over here. So it kind of turned into a little ceremony, and, and I announced him as the honorary president of the True Blue Brew Crew. <laughs> and, he put, and he put the hat on, and we got pictures, and it was just a great experience. Oh, this story could have gone in a complete different direction. Number one, you're like a secret agent trying to side-skirt the Secret Service and successfully getting to a president of the United States. Number two, you hand you say, I have something to give you. At that point, that's where the Secret Service should have tackled you. Where you reach, I got something for you, where you secretly try to give something to the president. So here you are alive to tell the story. Thank you, Doc. Or They wrote down Doc on the call screen. I'm sorry, Eric, I apologize. Let's take some more of your calls at 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. We'll do that right after the break here on WTMJ. Oh, this what started it all, Full House. See, I don't know all the words, but it's fun to sing along, isn't it? There's a place. Charlie, you know the words? Need you. Sing along with me. Everywhere Everywhere you look. look. (laughs) out there and you're all alone. We're definitely sober. Please don't question that right now. (laughs) And I'm Ryan Recker filling in for Jeff Wagner, and I'll try not to sing anymore. Wow, that was really terrible. And for some reason in my mind, I thought that would go better. Have you ever encountered a celebrity that stands out and you're thinking to yourself, wow, they were great, or wow, they were terrible. And if it's happened here in Milwaukee, bonus points to you. Let's take some of your calls. Jason, welcome to WTMJ. Hey, afternoon. Are you guys completely sure about that last comment that you made? Uh, you know, I don't know. They may have put something in that cream puff I ate, but either way, <laughs> go ahead, Jason. Who did nice. you meet? Uh, Barney Brewer. Hmm. What was that like? Uh, meeting a brewer, big stuffed animal. <laughs> Just like he seemed nice when I talked to him. Okay, <laughs> fluffy. He was cute and fuzzy and furry and I don't know, cuddly. Was it everything you wanted? Nicest. Is this so on your deathbed? You'll be talking to your kids, your grandkids, great grandkids, whatever it is. You're going to talk about the time you met that. <laughs> uh, that's about as close as I think I'm ever going to get to meeting a celebrity. So, okay. Yeah, it's a, that's a positive encounter. We'll take it. Thanks, Jason. Yep. That works. Well, Jason questions my sobriety. Wow. Let's go to James. Welcome to WTMJ. Hello. Yeah. Um, I met uh, 
DeMalt, uh, Monday Night Football, Howard Cosell. Oh, how? you got to say it like him. Howard Cosell. Howard Cosell. That and, was, uh, the emphasis uh, was a little bit different than I thought it would be, but it's pretty good. Okay, so what was he like? Well, he was cool. I was out in Vegas. They were out in Caesars Palace. He was sitting with his wife and a couple friends, and I, a couple of my, I was sitting with a couple of my friends down uh, a bunch of tables away, and we made a little bet that could I get his autograph or not. And so I uh, walked over there and said uh, to Howard, is your uh, pen as muddy as your tongue is? <laughs> oh, no. And how did that go? What did he say? But, well, I got his autograph. But the but the funny thing was, here here's, here's more funnier thing. Um, what's his name? Um Oh, the boxer, uh, not uh, Muhammad Lee, Ali. But, uh, oh. Foreman, George Fra- no, Frazier. Frazier. Or no, Foreman, okay. George Foreman, this is back in the 70s, well, the latter part of the 70s. And George Foreman is out there, and I see him, uh, see him uh, sitting in the, in, the, in the audience there. Well, it comes uh, towards the end of the show and that, so I want to get his autograph. And here's these dudes, here's, here's his uh, entourage, unlike the water boy. Of of, the, of this bunch and this autograph that I got from from Howard Cosell is going is on, uh, signed by George Foreman on the other side there. Oh, cool! Comes on up and he's shaking my hand in Caesar's Palace and everybody's looking. How did you get to get by this? You know the entourage of these guys. He stops and he signs signs my autograph, shakes my hand, and away he goes. Awesome! And that was a ten that made Positive. my day. That would make your day. Awesome. Thank you very much for the call, because that would make your day. How cool is that? Howard Cosell. But he said it differently. He said, Howard Cosell, or something like that. I've never heard it pronounced that way, but I kind of like it better that way. A little uh, Jerry Lewis with Howard Cosell in that one. We'll take some more of your calls after the break on WTMJ. Some great text messages of meeting celebrities. One, my son and I happened to see Brett Favre at a random batting cage mini golf place in Waukesha. He was super cool. One person mentioned that he, let's see, met Elvis at the airport. The weird thing was they said he met Elvis in 99. Well, that's strange. Okay, the text didn't say that, but I may be embellishing a little to make the text a little more conspiratorial. Here's one. Uh, We were surprised by the Rascal Flats crashing our wedding in 2017. That's cool. So many people have great opportunities to meet celebrities and so many good stories cropping up here. Let's take a few more before we go to the news. And Nick, welcome to WTMJ. Hello, Nick. Hey, Ryan. First time caller for you, so excited about that. Great. I'm excited, too. Who did you meet? So my celebrity, Ryan, was Christopher Plummer. Hmm. And this was about... 25 years ago when I was a student in my undergrad and we went up to the uh, Stratford Theater Festival up in Stratford, Canada. Mm-hmm. And this is where uh, Chris was doing his uh, one-man show, uh, Barrymore. And we had a chance that eventually went to Broadway and we had a chance to meet him afterwards. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm meeting Captain Von Trapp. That was, like, the coolest thing ever. All right, was he cool? Because um, we were... I'm sorry? Was he cool? Did Was he nice to you? Oh, yeah, he was He was super cool, super nice. Um, a lot shorter than I would have thought. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But it was super cool because we were actually rehearsing for The Sound of Music at mm-hmm. that time, and um, I was actually playing the role of the captain. So I thought, how cool is this? I know. Um, what so, a great opportunity. He yeah. just passed away in last year, 2021, yeah. 91 years old. I re- absolutely yeah, recognize him now. I forget exactly. I knew the name, but I, I absolutely recognize him as soon as I saw him, the actor there. Thank you for sharing that, Nick. That's really cool. Let's go to Trudy. Welcome to WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Who did you meet? I met, uh, we met uh, Hank Aaron uh, on our 25th anniversary up in Milwaukee at the Hyatt. And my kid, our kids, I got four girls, or we have four girls, and they treated us to a weekend at the Hyatt. And we were having breakfast in the the, the one uh, room, and I noticed uh, Hank Aaron was sitting, oh, maybe twenty five feet away from us. With a, I was uh, Larry Hiles with him, was with him, and a few others. It must have been about ten guys sitting together, and they were discussing something. And I asked the waitress if there was a possibility that he would let me get his autograph because I've been, I was one of his earliest fans i think it was oh i don't know maybe 12 15 years old when i first saw him play mm-hmm. at, at the milwaukee uh, uh at the stadium and everything and i was so enthralled with uh, his way of dealing with people he was so sweet oh. anyhow I, she said she asked him and uh if i could come over and get his autograph and i was i was so excited i went over and and so did my husband, and I asked him if I could have his autograph, and he said, oh, sure. And he wrote it on a piece of paper, and I've still got it today, and Larry Heisel's too. And I asked him, I said, hey, I, I says, Mr. Aaron, I, didn't, I wanted to be formal, and he was so kind. I said, uh, do you still talk to um, Eddie Matthews? And he said, oh, yeah, this is, like I said, this is quite a while ago, mm-hmm. and they were both younger and everything, and uh, he says, oh, yes, he says he gave me a a watch, and I've still got it. I'm still wearing it. Oh, so cool. So sweet. Oh, that's so awesome. So sweet, and I those memories last forever. That piece of paper. Never do. You don't want to lose a piece of paper like that either. Gets shuffled away. It's interesting finding a celebrity at the restaurants. I once had dinner at an Outback Steakhouse with D. Snyder from Twisted Sister. Dude's awesome. But you had all kinds of people inside of the Outback Steakhouse wanting D. Snyder's autograph. Because, you know, guy's a hair metal legend when it comes to that type of music. This is how he handled it. He said, uh, let me know where you're sitting. I'm eating with my family right now, but I'll come by right after we're done eating. So this is what happens. You have the full meal. And then when he's done, he went back to every table that wanted his requested an autograph. He went over and said hi, signed their thing, and then we were on the way out. That was a great way to handle it. Uh, Thanks for all the calls we had there. For the sake of time, we have to move on after this. But, wow, this was fun hearing these stories, mostly positive, except for Kevin Bacon. I'm Ryan Recker. You're listening to WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Now filling in for Jeff Wagner, here's your host, Ryan Recker. Some pretty fun text messages about going on a prom date and noticing Bob Dole at the restaurant across the street here in Milwaukee near the airport. Said he crossed the street, went to go grab a pen out of his suit jacket, and his security stopped him right there. (laughs) 
Hey, uh, kid, what are you doing? Then he hands him a pen, and then he signs his napkin, which I'm guessing if it was a prom date at night, this is one of those cloth napkins. And that's kind of a cool story. Bob Dole is a neat guy. When a lot of different places will have individual honor flights, which is an organization, a charity, that uh, charters flights to Washington, D.C., so veterans could see the memorial that was built in their honor if they were a part of a foreign war. And World War II veterans, we know it's very difficult to find World War II veterans anymore based on their age and everything they went through. They pass away so frequently anymore that now they've moved on, Korean War, uh, Vietnam War, things like that. But when Bob Dole was alive, if he was able, he would be out there welcoming the vets to their memorial. That's just what he did in his retirement. How great is that? Always really admired and honored a guy like Bob Dole. There's a story, CBS News started talking about this. Wisconsin State Patrol to use aerial surveillance in different counties. And it's already started. I hate this idea. I've seen these before where certain areas would say that traffic and crime is so out of control that we need to start policing from a distance. And we need to start using drones or helicopters to nail people that are driving uncontrollably on our roadways. Don't you want safer roadways? Then we should have Big Brother up in the sky. I really don't like this at all. I think that if you're going to have a traffic violation that you need to be able to represent yourself, if a police officer comes up and writes you a ticket, that's the way it should be. I don't like this, hey, let's put up a bunch of cameras, and if we catch you doing something you shouldn't be doing, we'll just send you a ticket in the mail. That's the wrong way to do it. I've seen people argue it. I've seen people say that it's actually more fair that way because it's less arbitrary, which I don't necessarily agree with. I think about all the abuses that could be made for aerial surveillance, for camera surveillance, satellite surveillance, all of these things. And the idea is that if we always have a watching eye, we can always catch the bad guy. And, hey, why would it be a problem if you're not the bad guy? Why would it be a problem if you do the speed limit? Why would it be a problem if you're not swerving through traffic? Why would it be a problem? And they go down the line. And they just say, why would this ever be a problem? You're not the problem, so it shouldn't matter. Just allow us to surveil you. But I get too paranoid for things like that. You know, I read the text stories, and I think about all the abuses where these things could possibly go in the future. And I just don't want to feel paranoid all the time. I'm at the point where I'm going to just have to start wearing a ski mask before I go to try to hide from the surveillance cameras that are placed. No, I'm not at that point yet. I'm not wanted by police. You're not going to find my mug up in the post office. Don't get me wrong. But the way people drive in Milwaukee, it's appealing to them. And um, by the way, the Wisconsin State Patrol actually I don't think was in Milwaukee. They looked at some of the neighboring counties, but not really here from what I was looking at the map. So how about this? Is driving so out of control right now, you would welcome the surveillance state. Would you say, put up the cameras and get the drones out there. Anyone that's caught driving aggressively, anyone that's caught going 100 miles an hour, anyone that's caught swerving between lanes, just write them a ticket and be done with it. Is that the best way to do it? 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. I think there's a lot of privacy violations that you can get in trouble with when you're talking about surveillance they can use this in a way that will never be in your favor it's always going to be used against you and it's very difficult for you to challenge these things even when you have an excuse 
or even when it's something as like, hey, you know, my car was in the back of a tow truck. I wasn't speeding. It was stationary in the back of the tow truck. Why are you giving me a ticket for this? I know there's going to be instances, but all I'm saying is if you're a police officer, you should be able to write a ticket to someone. It should be as simple as that, and that's the way I want it to be. I think you have to be able to represent the ticket in person as opposed to throwing it through the mail. And I hate the surveillance idea. I really, really hate it. Maybe you think it's due because that's the only thing we can do at this point. We're so shorthanded. You tell me your argument. Try to change my mind. 855-616-1620. Do you welcome the surveillance in order to try to help with safety on the roads? We'll take some of your calls after the break. I'm Ryan Recker filling in on WTMJ. Nice bumper music. Nice selection. Let's take some of your calls. 855-616-1620. Wisconsin State Patrol to use aerial surveillance in five counties. It's going on this week. It's already started from what I see. Part of this story, too, talks about how much it's easier to spot drivers that are speeding or driving aggressively. They also point out that if they're spotting a violation, they can communicate with the ground-based units, meaning that you could get another cop on this sort of thing. So I guess if they're just flying through there. But I've heard it other ways, too. I've heard of these different surveillance uses where they don't stop or initiate because they say it's just easier to send a ticket or maybe they don't have the staff. So uh, there's other ways that it's used in different places. Maybe right here in Wisconsin, you call to the ground and have someone catch it, or maybe it's, hey, you know what, let's just put cameras up. We need to fight this thing. I don't like it. I don't agree with the way we're just relying on technology to surveil us in order to make our lives tougher and just try to harass us in some ways through the government. Let's go to Todd. Welcome to WTMJ. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for taking my call. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Um, uh, Just a little bit of background. I'm in Milwaukee and not the greatest area of town, and there's a lot of erratic driving um, I don't think surveillance is the thing. I think we need more police, and we need stiffer penalties. Uh, stealing a car only gets you three weeks in jail. Uh, you know, driving erratically, y- you should be fined heavily. Lose your license um, if you even have a license. Hmm. Part of the problem is where are you going to send? Where where are you sending tickets to? I mean, they might be driving a car that's not even registered to them. Oh sure, whatever it is, you know. I, and like I said, I see this on a daily basis. I think there should be more more police. Out on the roads, or more police in in, in general. Yeah, but um, well, signs would make people think twice. Are there different cities in Wisconsin that have red light cameras, or is that banned statewide? Do you know? I don't know. All I know is that you know, it's gotten really bad. I see accidents almost every day. Yeah. All right. Sorry for that, Todd. Thank you for the call. In the state of Missouri, they put up the red light cameras, and then through a Supreme Court decision in the state, they had to take them down because you need to be able to represent the ticket as it was being written. So we also found out that you didn't have to pay the ticket. It was done through a third party, and they really didn't have any way to punish you for not paying the ticket. So obviously, that's another reason, too, and they couldn't actually send it to police, so it became a mute point at there. I don't like red light cameras either. I really think they're very intrusive. I think the way we collect data today, too, and someone texted in, you are as paranoid as you admitted. I know. I'm so paranoid. But when you think about the way technology is used today and how easy it is to collect this data, I'm just going to give you an example of things that I get paranoid about. So allow me to put on the tinfoil hat for a second. All right, tinfoil hat's on. Now imagine that 
through the cameras, they say this is good because now we can catch crimes. We can use this as evidence and it's easier to prosecute people that are doing the wrong things. Let's say they're reading every license plate that drives down the road or they're scanning every face of someone that walks to sidewalk, kind of like what you see in China right now. Who's to say that data isn't going to be sold to companies or whatever? Who's to say that the data is not going to be used to start profiling you? So let's say, hypothetically, you're in a bad area and the police notice you're in a bad area and there was a crime that was committed in that bad area, but because they didn't see you committing the crime but they knew you were there, all of a sudden you're a suspect in a crime you didn't commit. Or let's say that you deviate from your regular pattern and they just know the way you go. Wow, that's suspicious. I wonder what's going on there. What if they decide to use some of this data for insurance purposes? Like here, they tag this license plate, and wow, you, we find that you speed every day. We're going to use that as a way to up your premiums. Or let's say that they're monitoring personal decisions that you make, and they say now you're riskier for health insurance, so we're going to have to up this because, wow, this guy doesn't look both ways when they cross the street. You may think about this and say, this is just so crazy talk. No, uh, There's no way the technology can do that. Well, the technology can do that. The matter is, are they going to do it? And if they were to do, going to do it, what benefit would it have to you? Or would it be used against you? And these are the things I get paranoid about. Let's go to Lamar. Welcome to WTMJ. Hi. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um, I, first on your comments here, I don't think the government is that efficient with the use of technology. I mean, we're still, <laughs> we can't even figure out both. So just, that, that's not the end of there. But, okay. um, <laughs> but I do think that there is something to that surveillance. So in cities like Los Angeles, they have helicopters that give air support to, for like high-speed chases and stuff like that. But I think that drones would actually be good for this. If a drone picked up someone that were driving, you know, recklessly, that drone could then monitor them, you know, track them down and then get the police to where they are instead of having that, that ground pursuit, which is dangerous. Obviously, you don't want to let them get away, but at the same time, you got to do something about it, right? And so when they track them down, and then a lot of these um, cars that we, because uh, I listen to this station every day because I live in Orlando, I used to be Milwaukee, but a lot of these cars aren't even registered. You can tow them. Mm-hmm. That would be one extra tool specifically to, like, the reckless driving. That would be immense. It's a lot safer. Mm-hmm. It's a lot less expensive, too, because, you know, manning a drone is a lot, you know, cheaper than, yeah. you know, having uh, more cops on the ground. So I think that's the way. I get what you're saying, but I don't think the government is, that, is ever that efficient with oh, technology. Well, how so about this is one thing that would help them. All right, let me just throw this out. I've seen the movie RoboCop. So let's say a Jeff Bezos mm-hmm. says, hey, I can help your community. I'm going to create these robots to do the policing job for you. What about that scenario? Do you think that could ever happen? Again, I don't... <laughs> RoboCop. Just, That's someone saying, making a buck yeah, off of it. Yeah. <laughs> Give us RoboCop. I just don't see our government being that good. <laughs> never no. That efficient with technology. No, they <laughs> wouldn't. They would outsource it. But, man, yeah. we could use a nice RoboCop yeah. right about now. All right, Lamar, thank you very much for calling in. <laughs> we can use a good Batman in this town. Give us a call, 855-616-1620. <laughs> we need Batman surveillance on WTMJ. Wow, music-themed Highway Star. All right. Looking at a couple of the text messages now. One from the 414. Red light cameras are a no-go in Wisconsin. The violation they seek to prevent is driver-based, so they're used for registration-based violations, so suspended violations, things like that. Thank you for the clarification there. Um, Another text message, 920 area code. I think you've nailed it. 
Now we can just pry Batman away from Gotham. <laughs> Do we need a Batman? So that's part of my tinfoil hat thinking. And I just think that way because technology scares me in the way that it could be abused and the way that it will be used against you and never for you. And that's really concerning to me because a lot of these things could happen behind the scenes. They could be happening right now, and they could be happening without uh, our permission or at least our acknowledgement. We don't opt into it. It just happens, and then we find out about it later. That does scare me because those things do happen. Let's go to Dan. Welcome to WTMJ. Good day, sir. Great to speak to you again. Great. Fell in love with you out of St. Louis. Aww. I'm in Wisconsin up here right now. So um, I'm the guy that's harassing you on Facebook. I'm not a stalker. I'm just a big fan. <laughs> Anyways, but specifically when it comes to aerial surveillance, I think it's terrific because they're looking for the people that are going, I mean, bananas fast, 100, 120. So you, who's maybe going 10 over, even 15, they're, they're not looking for that. Because the, the, the troublemakers will not cause trouble when they see a squad car on the surface, but they're not looking in the sky. So it, it is keeping everyone safe, and you're just too worried. <laughs> so they don't want the small potatoes guy going 10 over. They want the 30 over oh. guy, 20 over guy. Oh, oh they, want the, they want the 50 over guy for mm. sure. Do you see that a lot in Wisconsin, someone going 50 over? Well, uh, uh, I can't divulge where I work, but I've gotten somebody at 50 over in a 55-mile-an-hour okay. zone, so it happens. That's like a St. Louis normal. The speed limits are so slow in St. Louis, you could be going 55, which is the speed limit, and someone will blow past you going 80, and they won't even be thinking twice about it. Yeah. Just, But, but you know what? That's almost well, the normal, okay. 20 over in St. Louis. That does... That doesn't make it okay. <laughs> Thank it's you. Crazy risky. <laughs> Thank and more, you, Jan. More people need to be busted for it. Okay, that's the quote right. of the day. Thanks for visiting, man. Have a good one. Oh, thank you. Well, he's a St. Louis native, lives, I guess, up here in Wisconsin now. That's the quote of the day. Doesn't make it okay. <laughs> oh, a text message. I am Batman. Great. Batman listens to WTMJ. That's fantastic. Peter, welcome to WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Um, yes, we need the surveillance. We need the bear light cameras. We need aerial. We need more squads, more po- We need everything out here. I'm a delivery driver. I go, I do about 200 miles a day. And you wouldn't believe these idiots are on the road. I don't even understand how they got their license, if they have a license. Well, what are you driving, a truck or are you driving something else? I'm driving a little puddle jumper minivan. And I've already put it on Facebook a couple of times. Hey, I don't feel good. I don't, I don't trust something is wrong. If I don't get a chance to say goodbye to you guys and I love you, here it is just in case somebody runs a red light and runs into me. That's just how dangerous it is out here. I am actually becoming the police by reporting speeders. I had one in Jefferson County the other day, just yesterday. And they tracked them down. And I sat there behind the squad, and I filled out the complaint, and I am going to go to court, and I am going to – I'm, I'm – uh, this is so Wait. dangerous. Okay, People so just acting like you wake up and write a fresh will and testament, thinking it may be your last day on the roadways. Tell me about this uh, reporting. Much. So if you report something to the police, do they sometimes require you to come in as a witness? 
Um, they ask if I'm willing to file a complaint. And everybody I have done this against so far, um, I have had five calls in. I've had more than five calls. But lately, it's been four of them have been caught. Mm-hmm. Three of them have been arrested. Three of them had their cars towed. And the other one was just, hey, we're going to give you a warning. We didn't see you speeding. The driver doesn't, uh, the caller doesn't want you to get a ticket or anything. He wants you to slow down. Okay, thank you. And that's it. But it's getting to the point where we had an accident here about two years ago where Tinker fell off the freeway and he blew up. Mm. And I was supposed to be in that area, but thankfully my uh, deliveries got canceled in that area. And I was actually in, uh, uh, Green Bay that day. Wow. Otherwise, Just... I would have been in Kenosha, and I would have been most likely in that area at that time of that accident, all because you had a idiot that wanted to go over four lanes to get out uh, to get off the freeway. Scary. This all right, Peter. We have to stop. We got it. Thank you very much for the call. And Peter's got to get a dash cam. Everything that he's saying that he's witnessed out there. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. You're listening. To Ryan Recker filling in for Jeff Wagner. Great text messages. I am Batman is a great text message to receive. Here's the text message. My future son-in-law got a speeding ticket the last weekend for going 86 in a 70 zone. I'm glad they caught him as he was going way too fast with my daughter in the car. See, I don't see 86 as fast. I think 86 is not going crazy fast. I mean, it it might be fast. In Michigan, where I grew up, mostly you find the speed limit being 75. Most people go 85. And it doesn't seem that out of the ordinary when everyone else is going that fast. Uh, I don't look at it as, oh, you better grab the bar and hold on because you get your last will and testament written up. Or your affairs in order before you hop into that car. I'm talking about like the ones that go 90, 100, and they're zipping through traffic when it doesn't really call for that. It's not keeping up with the flow. see that an awful lot, more than you used to. One person said, I deliver through the Milwaukee area daily, cover between 200 and sometimes up to 500 miles a day. Drivers on the road, you dare to honk their horn at someone. They may just swerve into your lane. They're not paying attention. I've done, let's see, I've had guns pulled on me three times in Milwaukee. It's ridiculous. Something needs to be done. Other person said, dash cams for all. Hit send when something good gets filmed. I definitely need to get a dash cam. I, as paranoid as I am, I should get a dash cam. Let me just give you a couple of tech stories to make you paranoid as well. Okay? Gizmodo did an article on surveillance online and the amount of data that is collected in early 2012 new york times magazine put a cover story out about andrew pohl a statistician working at target who was asked with inventing a way to identify potentially pregnant shoppers so this is back in 2012 10 years ago that's a long time ago do you think he was successful He was successful. In fact, a lot of other companies and data brokers started to take note for something like that. Gizmodo identified 32 different brokers across the United States selling access to unique mobile ID numbers for some 2.9 billion profiles of people pegged as, quote, actively pregnant or shopping for maternity products. So how does this work? 
And if you're wondering about how this works, let's say that you are online and you're logged in under your accounts and your names and you type in something like prenatal care or find a great baby doctor or something. I don't know what women search for. I'm sorry. That's that's all lady stuff. I don't get to divulge into that too much. See, my wife and I, we have two kids. She takes care of all the lady stuff, and that's one of it. Baby doctor stuff. She knows what she's doing. I trust her. But when she started looking up, okay, diapers, formula, pumps, uh, routine things that normally only pregnant women would search for, then the computer could take a pretty strong suggestion to that. The Internet and through the Internet, sometimes that information gets stored off the website, the search engines, things like that. And as you'll find out soon, even your cell phone starts to track these sort of things. And what happens is they compile that into a profile and they know that you're most likely pregnant. And because you're most likely pregnant, that's valuable to an advertiser. Because an advertiser can send you things that would only be appealing to pregnant women. And because of that, they're going to go heavy on the pregnancy stuff. Because they know that you're going to be in the market to buy a lot of stuff. 2.9 billion profiles on the market of data. 470 million customer profiles labeled as interested in pregnancy. And these unique mobile IDs sometimes go for 49 cents per user, sometimes as much as 225 per user. This goes on a lot. Gizmodo was able to find data sets up for sale. They were able to purchase these things and independently verify that these are accurate. Data brokers have created a dangerous situation for people because it's not just for pregnant women. It's for anything that you search for. They're always using this as a way to profile you. And they may say, it's oh, it's just as simple as trying to make sure we have the proper advertising because we want to make ads relevant to you. Oh, we don't want you to see things you don't want to see. We just want to make sure it's personalized to you. That's the way that they tried to rationalize the intrusive nature of these tech companies in advertising. And another thing, by the way, if you have a cell phone right now and you're on AT&T, T-Mobile, or Verizon, this is going to be important information for you. Now their cell phone carriers are also mining the personal information and the things that you use on it, text messaging or whatever. They pick up on these and they now have to give you an option to opt out of it for advertising purposes, meaning that you didn't give them permission to track your keywords or the things that you're doing on your phone. They just automatically gave themselves the permission under the understanding that you have the opportunity to opt out. But how many of you right now knew that your cell phone was doing this? And you had an opportunity to opt out. I'm guessing no one knew it. Anyone listening right now are thinking to themselves, wait a second, hold on. Are you telling me that my phone is literally tracking me? They're not going to hide the way they're tracking me, but they'll give me the option to tell them not to track me? Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. For AT&T, T-Mobile, or Verizon, go look it up. They found ways that this data will use your web history for targeted advertising. I didn't give them any permission to scan or look at things on my phone, nor would I ever give them permission to do something like that. I think it's lousy, honestly. Very lousy. And it's just one of the other ways technology can be used and abused. Uh, Here's another text message. We need Batman. We need RoboCop. We need cameras to record crazy drivers, but they should be floating ones like Flash Gordon. (laughs) I don't know Flash Gordon. 
Uh, we need James Bond ejector seats installed into vehicles. We need juvenile prisons out of Lake Michigan designed like the Raft Maximum Security Prison in Marvel Comics. Crack down on them all. I think you mean that tongue-in-cheek, but seriously. Tell me when you watch a movie like Batman or whatever, and you think, wow, this Gotham is starting to look an awful lot like my city. Depending on where you are, you could be somewhat true on that. I don't know if vigilante justice is the answer, but it becomes more appealing when it doesn't seem like anything's getting done and a bunch of bad guys get continuously cycled onto the street with no help from the justice system. And by design, by wokeness or whatever it may be, that's just what they decide to do to try to level the playing field or whatever their justification or rationale may be. It is scary to me because that is the future in so many different ways unless you do fight back. And that leads way for RoboCop and that leads way for Batman, I guess. Now, if you walk into a Halloween store today and try to get a Batman outfit, they're going to know what's up. They're going to say, hey, wait a minute, are are you trying to be a vigilante? They'll know. They'll know. But they'll want to sell it to you anyway. I'm Ryan Recker filling in on WTMJ. There was a story out of Kentucky. Whenever there's natural disasters, you see this, and it's just absolutely devastating for many families. Flooding could displace a person for a long time. Fires out west are becoming more popular, in a sense, or at least more common. And people are displaced. They lose their homes. They lose their livelihood. It's just devastating. I hate the tactic that the White House and some people in the White House, and I'm going to use... Vice President Kamala Harris as an example, where they'll get in front of a podium and they'll say, see, I told you about climate change. Look at all these people that died in the fires. Look at all the people that died in the flooding. You need to fund our climate change uh, initiatives because these people died. And they use that as a platform, a springboard, these people's lives to try to get their political point. It makes me sick. And just recently, Vice President Harris was doing this the last couple of days. You see her out there. And I just think to myself, what a slimy approach to try to do the whole climate change deal. And if you wanted to talk and try to convince people on your legislation, that's fine. That's what you're able to do as a politician. And you should be able to convince people if you think it's a good idea to spend taxpayer money that way. That's how it's been forever. But please, don't say because there's flooding and there's fires that happen with these natural disasters, that it's a consequence of people voting against climate change measures. In the case in point, what we're seeing in Kentucky with the flooding has just been absolutely devastating to so many different people. If it's not tornadoes, if it's not hurricanes, things that just happen along those lines, flash flooding is becoming, a, like I've, I've seen it before, Like I mentioned, I'm from St. Louis, and we just recently had our own historic flooding just a couple of weeks ago, where this flash flooding would be one minute you're driving on the highway or a roadway, and next thing you know, it's within a matter of minutes that the water starts to rise, and you could be stranded on the highway. It is really scary, and you just don't see these sort of things coming. And... With the flooding, it also meant that people died. Like, one person got stranded inside their car and couldn't get out. We had someone die because of the flash flooding that went on there. And then you have Vice President Harris saying, oh, look at the historic flooding in St. Louis. People died. This is a consequence of Republicans not voting for climate change or whatever the lingo she was using or implying. It was just just sickening. And that's what's happening right now for the flooding disaster in Kentucky. 
so far, more than 30 lives have been taken in Kentucky. And the state is not only dealing with cleanup efforts, but also the comments online suggesting the victims may have deserved their fate because they possibly have voted Republican in the past. Let me give you an example of some of the different comments that have come out. This is what they voted for. This is heartbreaking, but at the same time, this is what they voted for. The sad thing is, I think they will continue to vote for the same people over and over. Another tweet said, now blue states will be bailing them out. And here they are, voting for their own demise. It just, I I think to myself... How lousy of a person can you be or a politician like Vice President Harris, who's doing the exact, well, not the exact same thing, but very similar rhetoric in her speeches right now when trying to push different climate change initiatives, that you would use these poor families that are grieving right now over their loved ones, losing lives with the flooding, and to say, well, you you get what you get. Get out of here. What a terrible thing. Just makes me sick. All right, we have uh, one more segment coming up, and then I'm out of here for the day. In fact, we may or may not be at the fair tomorrow. At least I think I'll be here in the studio, and then I'll be at the fair on Friday. We do have a Brewer's Day game uh, tomorrow, so I'll be kind of hanging out at the studio from what I understand. I'd love to meet you at the fair and have a cream puff with you. So I'm sure you'll hear a lot about that later today on WTMJ.